Chapter Fourteen of A Short History of Scotland by Andrew Lang, read for LibriVox.org into the public domain. Chapter Fourteen, James the Fourth, Part One. The new king, with Angus for his governor, Argyll for his chancellor, and with the Kerrs and Hepburns in office, was crowned at Scone about June twenty fifth, fourteen eighty eight. He was nearly seventeen, no child, but energetic in business as in pleasure, though lifelong remorse for his rebellion gnawed at his heart. He promptly put down a rebellion of the late king's friends and of the late king's foe, Lennox, then strong in the possession of Dumbarton Castle, which, as it commands the sea entrance by Clyde, is of great importance in the reign of Mary and James the Sixth. James the Third must have paid attention to the navy, which, under Sir Andrew Wood, already faced English pirates triumphantly. James the Fourth spent much money on his fleet, buying timber from France, for he was determined to make Scotland a power of weight in Europe but at the pinch his navy vanished like a mist. Spanish envoys and envoys from the Duchess of Burgundy visited James in 1488 to 1489. He was in close relations with France and Denmark, and caused anxieties to the first Tudor king, Henry the Seventh, who kept up the Douglas alliance with Angus and bought over Scottish politicians. While James, as his account books show, was playing cards with Angus, that traitor was also negotiating the sale of Hermitage Castle, the main hold of the middle border to England. He was detected, and the castle was entrusted to Hepburn, Earl of Bothwell. It was still held by Queen Mary's Bothwell in 1567. The Hepburns rose to the earldom of Bothwell on the death of Ramsay, a favourite of James the Third, who, 1491, had arranged to kidnap James the Fourth with his brother, and hand them over to Henry the Seventh for two hundred and seventy-seven pounds, thirteen shillings, fourpence. Nothing came of this, and a truce with England was arranged in 1491. Through four reigns, till James the Sixth came to the English throne, the Tudor policy was to buy Scottish traders and attempt to secure the person of the Scottish monarch. Meanwhile, the church was rent by jealousies between the holder of the newly created Archbishop of Glasgow and the Archbishop of St. Andrews, and disturbed by the Lollards, in the region which was later the centre of the fiercest covenanters, Kyle in Ayrshire. But James laughed away the charges against the heretics, 1494, whose views were, on many points, those of John Knox. In 1493 to 1495, James dealt in the usual way with the Highlanders, and the wicked blood of the Isles. Some were hanged, some imprisoned, some became sureties for the peacefulness of their clans. In 1495, by way of tit-for-tat against English schemes, James began to back the claims of Perkin Warbeck, pretending to be Richard, Duke of York, escaped from the assassins employed by Richard III. Perkin, whoever he was, had probably been intriguing between Ireland and Burgundy since 1488. He was welcomed by James at Stirling in 1495, and was wedded to the king's cousin, Catherine Gordon, daughter of the Earl of Huntley, now supreme in the north. Rejecting a daughter of England, and Spanish efforts at pacification, James prepared to invade England in Perkins' cause. The scheme was sold by Ramsay, the would-be kidnapper, and came to no more than a useless raid of September 1496, followed by a futile attempt and a retreat in July 1497. The Spanish envoy, de Ayala, negotiated a seven-years' truce in September, after Perkin had failed and been taken at Taunton. The Celts had again risen while James was busy in the border. He put them down and made Argyle lieutenant of the Isles. Between the Campbells and the Huntley Gordons, as custodians of the peace, the fighting clans were expected to be more orderly. 
On the other hand, a son of Angus Og, himself usually reckoned a bastard of the Lord of the Isles, gave much trouble. Angus had married a daughter of the Argyle of his day. Their son, Donald Dubb, was kidnapped, or rather his mother was kidnapped before his birth for Argyle. He now escaped, and in 1503 found allies among the chiefs, did much scath, was taken in 1506, but was as active as ever forty years later. The central source of these endless highland feuds was the family of the Macdonalds, lords of the Isles, claiming the earldom of Ross, resisting the lowland influences and those of the Gordons and Campbells, Huntley and Argyle, and seeking aid from England. With the capture of Donald Dubb, 1506, the Highlanders became for the while comparatively quiescent. Under Lennox and Argyle they suffered in the defeat of Flodden. From 1497 to 1503, Henry VII was negotiating for the marriage of James to his daughter Margaret Tudor. The marriage was celebrated on August 8, 1503, and a century later the great-grandson of Margaret, James VI, came to the English throne. But marriage does not make friendship. There had existed since 1491 a secret alliance, by which Scotland was bound to defend France if attacked by England. Henry's negotiations for the kidnapping of James were of April of the same year. Margaret, the young queen, after her marriage, was soon involved in bitter quarrels over her dowry with her own family. The slaying of a Sir Robert Kerr, warden of the marches, by Heron in a border fray, 1508, left an unhealed sore, as England would not give up Heron and his accomplice. Henry the Seventh had been pacific, but his death in 1509 left James to face his hostile brother-in-law, the fiery young Henry the Eighth. In 1511 the Holy League under the Pope, against France, imperiled James's French ally. He began to build great ships of war. His sea-captain Barton, pirating about, was defeated and slain by ships under two of the Howards, sons of the Earl of Surrey, August 1511. James remonstrated, Henry was firm, and the border feud of Kerr and Heron was festering. Moreover, Henry was a party to the League against France, and France was urging James to attack England. He saw, and wrote to the King of Denmark, that if France were down, the turn of Scotland to fall would follow. In March 1513, an English diplomatist, West, found James in a wild mood, distraught, like a fey man. Chivalry, and even national safety, called him to war, while his old remorse drove him into a religious retreat, and he was on hostile terms with the Pope. On May 24th, in a letter to Henry, he made a last attempt to obtain a truce, but on June 30th Henry invaded France. The French Queen dispatched to James, as to her true knight, a letter and a ring. He sent his fleet to sea. It vanished like a dream. He challenged Henry through a herald on July 26th, and in face of strange and evil omens, summoned the whole force of his kingdom, crossed the border on August 22nd, took Norham Castle on Tweed, with the holds of Etel, Chillingham, and Ford, which he made his headquarters, and awaited the approach of Surrey and the levies of the Stanleys. On September 5th he demolished Ford Castle, and took position on the crest of Flodden Edge, with the deep and sluggish water of Till at his feet. Surrey, commanding an army all but destitute of supplies, outmaneuvered James, led his men unseen behind a range of hills to a position where, if he could maintain himself, he was upon James's line of communications, and thence marched against him to Braxton Ridge, under Flodden Edge. James was ignorant of Surrey's movements till he saw the approach of his standards. In place of retaining his position, he hurled his force down to Branxton. 
his gunners could not manage their new French ordnance, and though Holm, with the border spears, and Huntley had a success on the right, the borderers made no more efforts, and on the left the Celts fled swiftly after the fall of Lennox and Argyle. In the centre Crawford and Roths were slain, and James, with the steady spearmen of his command, drove straight at Surrey. James, as the Spaniard Ayala said, was no general, he was a fighting man. He was outflanked by the Admiral Howard, and Dacre. His force was surrounded by charging horse and foot, and rained on by arrows. But the stubborn spearmen still made good, their dark and impenetrable wood. When James rushed from the ranks, hewed his way to within a lance's length of Surrey, so Surrey writes, and died, riddled with arrows, his neck gashed by a billstroke, his left hand almost sundered from his body. Night fell on the unbroken Scottish phalanx, but when dawn arrived only a force of border prickers was hovering on the fringes of the field. Thirteen dead earls lay in a ring about their master. There, too, lay his natural son, the young archbishop of St. Andrews, and the bishops of Kethness and the Isles. Scarce a noble or gentle house of the lowlands but reckons an ancestor slain at Flodden. End of chapter 14, part 1